we'll dive into our teaching for the morning. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord. O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you've given us uh, your word. Uh, And your word is full of all kinds of accounts of how you have worked uh, with people um, throughout the ages. And so, Lord, as we consider today how you worked with Jonah and with the sailors, would you give us ears to hear from you, um, eyes to to see your goodness, even in the midst of storms. And God, I pray that as a result of uh, us interacting um, uh, with this word today, God, I pray that we would be drawn closer to you and we become more like you. So please use this time today, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So today we're going to consider uh, two aspects, uh, the running man and the pursuing God. The running man and the pursuing God. Um, now, some of you have asked me, if, as we do the running man, will I demonstrate some dance moves? That is not the purpose of us looking at the running man, all right? Uh, We're looking at Jonah here, uh, who runs from God. Um, Now let me first remind you why Jonah is running. We considered this last week. Uh, Jonah, uh, when he heard God's call to go to Nineveh, you notice, went the opposite way. And he did this because God was sending him to the sworn enemies of Israel, uh, to Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire, who was a violent, wicked, immoral, corrupt 
uh, nation, and they were oppressing Israel. And Jonah's like, why are you sending me to our enemies? And so Jonah does not want God to be merciful to Nineveh. He knows God is a merciful God. He just didn't think God wants to be merciful to those kind of people. But God is sending him to those kind of people. And Jonah does not like it. So Jonah, the prophet of God, the one who hears God's messages and tells people God's word, directly disobeys the Lord and goes the other way. Uh, so the surprising theme, really, of Jonah is how the seemingly righteous prophet is actually unrighteous. See, the Ninevites are not merciful people, but neither is this seemingly godly man, Jonah, a merciful person. So we said last week, one of the subplots of the book of Jonah is we see that there are, in the world, unrighteous lawbreakers, like the Ninevites, people who seemingly break every rule that God lays out, and then there are also unrighteous law keepers. Those that look good on the outside, seem very religious, seem very moral, but at a heart level are not merciful like God. And as human beings, we tend to either be unrighteous lawbreakers or unrighteous law keepers. None of us at heart are like the merciful God who has made us and loves us. So the question in Jonah is, will Jonah recognize his sin? Will Jonah repent? So Jonah here at the beginning of this story uh, is decidedly not repenting. He is going the opposite way that God wants to send him. So let's first consider where Jonah is running. Like what direction is Jonah going in? Three things in particular here that the text tells us. First, it says that Jonah ran down. Three times in uh, chapter one, it talks about Jonah running down, which is interesting. Um, the, whoever, uh, we're not positive who wrote the book of Jonah, but whoever it was was a masterful storyteller. Um, God's call to Jonah is arise. God is calling Jonah up into his mission. But then three times in chapter one, Jonah responds by going down. It says that Jonah went down to Joppa, down into the ship, and he laid down to sleep. God's calling Jonah up. Jonah is going down. Part of this message is that any time we are running away from the upward call of God, we end up going down in life. Um, running from God always leads down. Now, that's not the temptation. We think that God might not have our best in mind, that what God wants us to do actually doesn't look all that good. So we think we're going up running from God. It is not that way. Running from God always leads down. Jonah ran down. Secondly, Jonah ran to Tarshish. He ran to Tarshish. Um, I showed you a map last week uh, that Nineveh is in modern-day Iraq. It was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Tarshish is in modern-day Spain. You can't go in a more opposite direction. The exact opposite direction. To get to Nineveh, you get on a camel. To get to Tarshish, you get on a boat. Jonah is going in the exact opposite way. Tarshish is not even in the Assyrian Empire. Jonah is trying to get as far away from God's call as possible. Jonah runs to Tarshish. And then the third direction we see here in chapter 1 is that Jonah ran away from God's presence. He ran away. Um, three times in, uh, 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 in chapter 1 that this phrase is used, that Jonah ran away from God's presence. And we have to kind of scratch our heads and wonder, um, what does this mean? I mean, was Jonah so 
uh, theologically ignorant that he thought he could get away from God's presence. I mean, did this knowledgeable prophet of the Lord think that God wasn't in Tarshish? Was that Jonah's thought? If I go there, God's not there. I'll be safe. Um, we would be foolish to think that. I mean, the understanding of that time was clear that uh, knowledgeable um, Jewish people who had uh, God's revelation in the scriptures knew that God was everywhere. Um, I don't have this uh, verse uh, for you on the screen, but the, pro, uh, the uh, King David in Psalm 139, who preceded Jonah, I mean, he said this, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Jonah doesn't think he can get away from God. This is something specific it's talking about. You see, though God is everywhere, his presence is experienced more fully in certain locations on earth. For those of you that know the scriptures, you know that God called his people to build a temple. And within the temple was the Holy of Holies. And God's manifest presence was there in a way that it was not experienced outside of the temple. So any good Jewish person reading this knows that Jonah is not trying just to get away from God. Jonah is trying to get away from the place where God has called his people to come and worship. The manifest presence of God. Jonah's fleeing the church. Jonah's getting away from the community of God, the place where God has called his people to come together and worship. And you know what? I think all of us have a similar bent. Like if things aren't going well in life, it's sometimes hard to go to church, to get together with the worshiping community. If we don't think life is going well, we are pulled away from the place where God's presence is manifest on earth. And today, the scriptures make clear God's presence is made manifest in his people, the church. Jonah is running from the manifest presence of God expressed in the worshiping community. And he's doing that because he doesn't trust that God has his best in mind. He thinks that what God is telling him to do is not a good thing, it's a bad thing. Like, why would I want to go tell my enemies about your mercy? I think you're wrong about this, therefore I'm pulling away from worshiping you. Now, some of you here today, you may resonate strongly with that. There may be something in your life right now that makes it difficult for you to trust God. Something has happened or is happening that makes you scratch your head and say, I do not know what you're up to, God. And so your tendency may also be like Jonah to, to pull back from God's manifest presence in his church. Now, others of you um, might not resonate so much, um, but there was a time when Jonah didn't realize this either. See, Jonah didn't start running from God on the boat. That heart was already present in him. That heart was revealed on the boat. The scriptures teach us that all of us are runners by nature. All of us struggle to trust God right from the very first human beings. The very first human beings, God gives them one, one command. Don't eat from that tree. And they say, uh, I don't know about that. He must, he must be holding out on me. Uh, what's there that will be better? The very first humans doubt God's goodness expressed in his call. And we all have followed their example. We doubt 
that God has our best in mind. Therefore, we are running from him. As the famous hymn, uh, Come Thou Fount, says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave, leave the God I love. That's all of us. We are runners by nature. But as, as I said last week, um, that's not the focus, the primary focus of this book. The primary focus of Jonah is not so much on sinful people, but on a merciful God. I mean, it is remarkable how all throughout this account, God continues to pursue people who are running from him. God is merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Um, and as we look at chapter 1, we see how God does not let Jonah just go his own way. He pursues him. Uh, God didn't act like a good New Englander. God didn't just let Jonah go about his own business. He didn't respect his privacy. Uh, he actually went after him. He meddled in Jonah's affairs. And we say, well, how did he do that? How, how did God pursue Jonah in his mercy? Uh, let's look at Jonah chapter 1, verse 4. The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. It makes it pretty clear that the storm was from God. He hurled a storm after Jonah. Now, on one hand, I'm glad to know that God cares enough about us to pursue us. On the other hand, I don't really like how he pursues us. The Lord hurled a storm. This right here destroys much of the therapeutic view of God that is so prevalent in our day. It is so common in our day that we think about God being the one who gives us a beautiful sunrise, helps us have you know, more money, gives us health and safety, all the good things that we all want in life. But any of the other stuff, we just don't attribute to God. But this clearly says the Lord hurled the storm. God loves us enough at times to cause us pain. God is pursuing Jonah and the sailors by sending a storm of mercy. See, both Jonah and the sailors are affected by the storm. Jonah is affected by it, and it's due to his own sin. The sailors, though, are also affected, and they hadn't sinned. You see, the evil in the world that happens, um, we don't know why. We don't. Uh, we can try to figure it out. Sometimes we have some inkling, but a lot of times stuff happens to us. Storms come up. Sometimes it is because of our own sin. Sometimes it's because of others' sin. Sometimes it's just by living in a broken and fallen world that we experience the hard things of life. But in the midst of the storm, always God is pursuing us with his mercy. Now, if you're like me, what we all want is a calm and comfortable life free from storms. That sure sounds nice. But a calm and comfortable life is not what we need. What we need most is to be awakened to the reality of our running from God and our deliverance from that sin. See, God knows what we need most. If we are to walk through life calm, comfortable, and safe and stay blind to the reality of our sin, we are lost for all eternity. 
God loves us enough to cause us harm to wake us up to that reality. Uh, A famous preacher, Charles Spurgeon, uh, famously said this. He said, The Lord's mercy often rides to the door of our hearts on the black horse of affliction. Jesus uses the whole range of our experiences to wean us from earth and woo us to heaven. God will mercifully bring storms into our lives to deliver us from our running and to lead us home to his presence, which is the place of true safety. Uh, As I thought about this this week, about how God is willing to send storms, um, how he's willing to cause us pain to waken us up, I was reminded of a a few years back when my kids were younger. Uh, I was actually traveling at the time, so my wife told me this story, that in the middle of the night, the fire alarm went off in our house. You know how annoying it is to be wakened up from your sleep by the sound of a fire alarm? And these alarms we had were really obnoxious. And they actually said, fire, 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 leave the house now. And they just kept repeating that. So Wendy kind of wakes up. Two of my kids are really deep sleepers. They hadn't even budged. I mean, they were just out cold as this alarm is blaring. My, uh, the third child had woken up, but as Wendy came in the room, the child had taken the pillow, wrapped it around their head, and was sleeping, trying to ignore the cries of the alarm going off. Now, thankfully, there was no fire. It was a malfunction. But I thought to myself, oh my word, how much, that's such a picture of what we would desire in life. I don't want the annoyance of pain. I'd rather continue my, my nice sleep, thank you. But what if the alarm actually is telling us about something that's real? that there is a real danger. and We must take action based on. Friends, the afflictions, the storms that we all wish were not happening to us are actually, in God's mercy, opportunities for us to wake up to a greater danger and to be drawn to God's heart where we can truly be safe and secure. The pursuing God hurls storms that are there for our good. So the question is, how are we to respond to God's pursuing mercy? How can we respond in a way that leads us away from our running and home to God? And the irony of the book of Jonah is that the example we get in how to respond properly to the mercy of God does not come from the prophet Jonah. The example comes from the pagan sailors. And it's the great irony in Jonah is that again and again, it is not this godly prophet who shows us how to live life with God. It is the sailors. Then it's the Ninevites. And it's Jonah who needs to repent. Uh, Let me first kind of uh, tell you a little of the story of how the sailors respond to God's mercy and Jonah does not. Then we'll dive into the final few um, verses of chapter one. Um, As the storm begins to get serious in the beginning of this account, we see that Jonah is asleep, deep asleep, down in the ship. Um, Jonah is asleep to God's pursuing mercy. He's not aware. He's not awake. Uh, God is at work, and Jonah's not paying attention. You know what that's like in life sometimes, where you just want to escape? You don't want to deal with what's happening? Uh, A lot of us want to just sleep during the midst of storms. Uh, But God's trying to wake Jonah up. Well, the sailors are awake. Uh, They're working hard to save the ship. And they get frustrated and wake Jonah up. So God is working through the sailors to wake him up. And then the sailors cast lots. 
which was a common practice in the ancient world, of trying to figure out the divine will. And the irony is, Jonah already knows the divine will. He knows exactly what God wants him to do. He knows exactly why this storm is happening, but Jonah at first says nothing. He says nothing until he's forced, until the lot falls to him. So the sailors say, lot's fallen to you, what's happened? So Jonah's answer then reveals that he does fear God, the God who made heaven and earth, but he doesn't trust the God who has made heaven and earth. His answer essentially is, I fear him and I'm running from him. And the sailors say, what is this you have done? It's as if they're saying, that doesn't make sense, because it doesn't. If we truly know and fear the God who has made everything, why would we try to run from him who is our creator, our redeemer, uh, the source of all life and love? But that's what Jonah is doing. So the sailors say, well, tell us what we should do. And Jonah says, throw me overboard. This, this is happening because of me. Now, that may sound like Jonah is concerned about the sailors' well-being. It may sound like he's even repenting. Let's be clear, he is not. That's not Jonah's motivation here. Uh, that becomes clear as you go through the story. Um, Jonah, if he was serious about repenting, he would say, turn this boat around. I'm going the wrong way. Or he would drop to his knees and cry out to God. Actually, Jonah doesn't talk to God once in chapter 1. He never talks to God. So Jonah's not repenting here. Uh, Jonah wants nothing more. He would prefer to die at this point than to repent. Uh, in some ways, uh, Jonah's kind of like Lieutenant Dan in the movie Forrest Gump. You remember that scene where uh, Lieutenant Dan, who lost his legs in Vietnam, and he's very frustrated about his lot in life. He's angry at God. He's out on a boat in the middle of the storm yelling at God, saying, kill me. That's Jonah right here. Kill me. Just throw me overboard. Uh, I'd rather die than go to Nineveh. So Jonah says, do that. God still mercifully responds and saves the sailors. That when Jonah goes overboard, God saves them. Uh, well, let me uh, back up a little bit. Before that point, uh, it's amazing seeing the mercy of the sailors. Because after Jonah tells them, it's on my account the storm's happening, you'd think they'd be like, well, okay then. Throw you right over. They don't. These pagan sailors do not at first throw him over. They try harder and harder to save the ship and to save Jonah's life. Finally, the storm gets too intense. And so they decide to do what Jonah had said and they decide to throw him overboard. So let's pick up the story there in Jonah chapter 1, verses 14 to 16. It says, Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done it as you pleased. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. All right. Three responses from the pagan sailors, not from the prophet Jonah, about responding to mercy. Three things we see the sailors do. First, we see the sailors call out to God for mercy. They, they recognize the severity of the storm that they need to be delivered from. They even recognize their own sinfulness. Now, it wasn't their sin that brought this on, but they do not want to see Jonah um, die, and they don't want to be part of his death. So they call out to God, Lord, have mercy on us. Don't uh, uh, let us perish because of his sin. 
They call out to God for mercy. Now, what I love, I said this last week, I love this in Jonah. Every single person who calls out to God for mercy receives it. God loves to respond to this prayer. God responds to the sailor's prayer. They are saved. God then, uh, in the next chapter, when Jonah finally uh, uh, cries out to God from the depths of the fish, God responds to his prayer. When the Ninevites in chapter 3 call out to God for mercy, he responds to their prayer and destruction doesn't come. Every person who prays for mercy in the book of Jonah receives it. Jonah at this point is not calling out to God for mercy. He is resisting the mercy of God. The sailors want the mercy of God. Now we might scratch our heads and think, why would you resist the mercy of God? Well, <laughs> if I take a little stock of my own heart, it happens all the time. Sometimes there's bitterness that creeps in, or I'm just angry about something that's happened in life, and so I don't want to call out to God for mercy because I'm not very happy with Him. Or other times, I want to make my own way. Maybe it's uh, I want to you know, make myself uh, good enough, so I've got to become a little bit better person. So rather than focusing on asking for mercy, I'm just trying to present myself in a certain way. There are all kinds of reasons why our human hearts resist mercy, foolishly so. When God wants us simply to come and call out, have mercy on me, he delights to answer that prayer. I don't know what you're dealing with today, whether it's something that you've done wrong in your own life that's weighing you down, whether it's a storm you're going through, whether it's a situation you're in. I don't know what it is, but I know this. God wants to hear your cry for mercy. He wants to answer that prayer. The sailors call out to God for mercy. Secondly, we see that they worship the God who delivers. After God delivered them and the sea was calmed, instantly, the first thing they do is they prepare a sacrifice on the ship, which was a way of worshiping God. Now, the story starts with the sailor saying to Jonah, hey, call out to your God. And they're just, you know, they're thinking, uh, let's just try all the gods. Somebody could help us. By the end of the story, they've come to believe who actually is the one true God. They are worshiping the God who has delivered them. They respond to God's mercy with worship. And this is the right response for all human beings, that we were made to be worshiping creatures. And we all are going to worship someone or something. Someone or something will have this place of adoration in our life. Uh, for some of us, it is a career. For some of us, it is a, a spouse or a child. Good things. We're made to enjoy these kind of things. But none of those things are made to be the place of ultimate glory in our lives. And these sailors are coming to recognize that God and God alone is the Lord who delivers. No career, no spouse, no child can deliver us in the way that God can. And the sailors are worshiping the one true God. Uh, the worship of God is meant to be central in our lives, not peripheral. Worship, worshiping God is not just calling out to him in a storm. It is beginning to make him central in our lives. Is the worship of God the central uh, point in your life? We were made to orient our whole lives around the worship of God, but both in the corporate gathering, which we're doing today, also in our individual lives, waking up each morning saying, Lord, thank you for this day. I recognize that you have made it. I don't know what this day will hold, but I trust you. I love you. Lead me in it. Help me to see your hand. That's beginning each day with a worshiping posture. God's made us to operate that way. 
The sailors uh, call out to mercy. They worship the God who delivers. And then lastly, they commit to following God's ways. It says that after they made sacrifices, they made vows. That was the last phrase. And they made vows to the Lord. Um, if you've been to a wedding, you know that at a wedding, vows are made. Promises are made. People agreed uh, one to another that they are going to covenant together in life. Now, as someone who has performed uh, more than a couple weddings, uh, I always work with a couple who's getting married because there's often a tendency when couples write their own vows to make vows more about their current feelings rather than their future actions. And see, vows are not meant to be expressions of current feeling. They're meant to be promises of future action. So a couple usually is tempted to say in their vow, you know, I, I love you, uh, you are beautiful, wonderful, um, I am so uh, in love with you right now, I can't imagine that changing, which is not a promise. All that is is an expression of current feeling. And if those feelings never faded, marriage would be easy, wouldn't it? But those of you that have been married for a while know uh, things do change. Emotions come and go, ebb and flow like the tide. See, a vow is meant to hold us when the emotions ebb. A, a vow is a promise of future action. And what these sailors are doing, they are making promises about future action. They're saying, we will follow God's ways. We will follow the God who has delivered us. The right response to God's mercy is a promise, a commitment to walk in God's ways. Now, none of us are going to do that perfectly, but we are learning we are learning how to live our lives following the God who has delivered to us. The sailors call out to God for mercy, they worship the God who delivers, and they commit to following God's ways. Friends, the sailors responded to God's storm of mercy by calling out uh, for mercy, by worshiping the God who delivers, and by committing to walk in his ways. And if the sailors could do that with as little as they knew about God and his mercy, we have far, far more reason to respond in the same way. Far more reason. We know so much more about God's pursuing mercy than the sailors knew that day. We know that the story of Jonah is actually pointing us to the ultimate way in which God has pursued us in mercy. See, Jesus told us that the story of Jonah is actually about him. That, that Jesus is the greater Jonah the truer Jonah, what Jonah should have been but wasn't. He's the Jonah we need. See, we need someone who, like Jonah, will warn us about God's coming judgment, but who, unlike Jonah, will warn us without hating us. We need someone who, like Jonah, will tell us about God's mercy, but who, unlike Jonah, will also show us God's mercy. We need someone who, like Jonah, will be in the storm with us, but who, unlike Jonah, is powerful enough to deliver us himself. We need someone who, like Jonah, will be hurled into the sea of judgment so that we can be delivered, but someone, unlike Jonah, who will do so out of love. Friends, this same God who pursued Jonah with a storm of mercy has pursued us in Jesus Christ. And he is pursuing us still today. The question is, will you trust him? Will you call out to him for mercy? Will you worship him? Will you commit to follow him and walk in his ways? Let's pray.
Lord, we are so thankful.